Grace and peace are yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you ask me, there are few recreational activities that require more courage than skydiving. Now, to be honest, even roller coasters are a stretch for me, let alone dropping out of a plane at 14,000 feet. Maybe what makes skydiving so scary is that there, you have to have a high level of trust that everything goes completely right because there's very little room for error. Now, most places will make you jump with an experienced skydiver strapped to your back who will do everything for you. So once you jump out of the plane, it doesn't really matter what you do. And in that moment, you've probably forgotten everything from the pre-jump training session anyway. All that matters is that when the person strapped to your back pulls that string, the parachute comes out of your backpack, slows your fall, and brings you to the ground safely. Yes, maybe what makes skydiving so difficult is that you need to rely on something completely outside of yourself. One tendency of sinful mankind is the desire to rely on myself to be in control and self-sufficient all the time, even when it comes to receiving God's grace. That issue is the idea that we can earn God's grace was running rampant in the church in the years leading up to Martin Luther's Reformation. The leaders in the church in Rome were teaching that your spot in heaven, your salvation, in part, depended on you. And so you better be good enough and you better do the right things if you want to be saved. In his earlier years, Luther struggled with this to the point of despair. In the gospel this morning from Luke 18, Jesus shows us that we must shift our gaze and turn our eyes off of ourselves and onto our Savior. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector is a fitting one for Reformation Sunday because in it, Jesus shows us that we must let go of this idea that we can somehow save ourselves and instead to cling to the message of his grace alone, to cling to the cross. This morning, Jesus poses us with a couple questions. First, what's your confession? And secondly, where's your faith? The gospel writer Luke records for us, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Maybe you can already see where Jesus is going with this. He's talking to some people who thought pretty highly of themselves, probably some Pharisees in the crowd, and he's about to challenge their whole idea of righteousness. Jesus says there are two confessions made in the temple that day. Let's start with the confession of the, tech, the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood up and prayed, God, I thank you I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. You can almost hear him shudder as the words tax collector come out of his mouth. Because tax collectors were not popular people 
in Jesus' day. In fact, they were pretty much universally despised. You see, tax collectors would, they were known to cheat their own people out of money by collecting too much and making themselves rich. And so as this Pharisee prays, probably in a spot where he could be seen and heard, his confession is a proud one. If you look again at his words in verses 11 and 12, he starts by addressing God, but then what's the rest of his prayer about? It's about himself and how good he is, but certainly not a confession of sin. There's a little or not so little Pharisee in all of us that tempts us to ignore our own sinfulness and to think of ourselves as good and other people as wicked or at least not as good as we are. It tempts us to say, God, see how good I am. I thank you I'm not like some other people today, people who steal and cheat and murder. Look at my coworker and, and how he lives his life. Surely I'm a better person than he is. Look at him, look at her, look at their kids. God, you must just shake your head when you look at them. But you must be a little bit happier with me. And maybe sometimes we might outwardly look better than our neighbor from time to time. But is that your confession? When you come to church, is that what you bring to the altar as the Pharisee in the parable did? This temptation only comes too naturally for us today because how much of our world isn't based on comparing ourselves with others? If you want to get that scholarship, you have to get the best grades. If you want that promotion, you have to be the best in the office. But when it comes to life with God, everything gets flipped around. Let's look at the other man's confession. The tax collector said, God, I'm a sinner. And not just a sinner, but Luke expressed it as the sinner. This man considered himself to be the chief of all sinners. And did you notice how his body language matched his words? He stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast. So maybe standing in the outer court of the temple somewhere, feeling too unworthy to come up to the more holy front part of the sanctuary, he hangs his head. This man is in deep, deep sorrow over his sins. He doesn't try to hide it, knowing you can't hide anything from a holy God. He doesn't look around, scanning the room, comparing himself to anybody else. But he confesses his utter unworthiness before God. His confession is a simple one. I'm a sinner. And so we've seen two confessions. Let your confession match that of the tax collectors. I'm a sinner. I am simply unworthy to stand in the presence of God because my sins have separated me from God and all I've deserved is his wrath. It's that confession that led Martin Luther to a point of despair because he could not figure out how to make himself right with God. It's that confession that brings us to that uncomfortable place where we realize that there is not a single thing we can do to help ourselves. 
Now we know, as Martin Luther later learns, that, that when, it's when we're brought down to this deep pit of despair that the gospel sounds the sweetest. Because it's that message that tells us that you have been helped, you have been made right with God, and forgiveness has come to you freely from completely outside of yourself. The Apostle Paul expressed that message with these words. He said, Christ died for whom? For the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we sing in the hymn, Chief of sinners though I be, Jesus shed his blood for me. It's when your confession matches the tax collectors that you are prepared to hear this good news about Jesus. So that's our confession. Now, the other question we want to ask this morning is where is your faith? Where does your faith lie? Again, Jesus shows us two men who put their faith in completely opposite places. Let's start with the Pharisees again. He said, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Oh, and by the way, that's only part of it because I also keep the rest of the law of Moses so well that the most upright religious leader in Jerusalem would have a hard time convicting me of anything. His prayer isn't so much a prayer as it is just bragging about himself. He doesn't feel the need to ask for forgiveness or anything else because in his mind, he is already right with God. He feels good because of what he has done for God. So where does his faith lie? His faith lies in himself. Again, there's a little or not so little Pharisee in each of us that tempts us to place our faith in ourselves by feeling good about our own righteousness, our own good works. It tempts us to say, God, see how good I am, see what I have done for you, and see all I have sacrificed for you. Your sinful nature will feel good and, and tell you that you've done something that might bring you a little bit closer to heaven. Again, this temptation only comes too quickly to us today because for most other things in your life, you do need to rely on yourself to achieve your goals. For example, if you want to make the starting lineup this year, you have to work every day to get faster and stronger because that's how you're going to do it. But when it comes to your biggest and most important goal, you can't depend on yourself. Because as we confessed, there is no one who does good, not even one, but also because it's already been achieved for you. We are not here today to do a favor for God like the Pharisee thought he was doing. No, the reason you're here this morning is to receive God's favor. And that's what the tax collector did. Let's look at where the tax collector placed his faith. He said, God, have mercy on me. He knew that the only place his faith could lie was in his merciful God. He knew how he had cheated people out of money. He knew what a bad person he'd been. And he knew that he did not stand a chance. And so he didn't bring some litany of good deeds. He didn't bring a list of 
good qualities about himself, and he didn't bring his own righteousness. No, he showed up empty-handed, and he leaned on the one thing that he knew could save him. This tax collector placed his faith in a God whose grace and mercy comes to condemn sinners who have nothing to offer God. He placed his faith in the fact that Jesus came to save sinners like him. We know how the parable ended. Jesus told his audience, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So where does your faith lie? Is it with the Pharisee or with the tax collector? Let it be with the tax collector. When you come to church and pray, pray like the tax collector did. King David outlined a good prayer that we can use. He wrote, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Let your faith rest in God alone, because as David said, his love is unfailing and his compassion is great. This is a prayer that reflects faith in Jesus, who did bring God's mercy from heaven for you. Jesus came with all compassion to heal sinners and to wipe away every last trace of your guilt. 504 years ago, Martin Luther set in motion a reformation that got the church back to the pure teachings of God's word. And sometime before that, he finally had that, that aha moment, that light bulb moment where everything changed. All of a sudden, it became clear for him when he was reading Romans chapter 1 what the righteousness of God is. Before that, he had only thought of the righteousness of God in the sense of an angry God who demanded perfection. But the righteousness of the gospel is the righteousness that God credits to you, that of his Son, removing the punishment that we have deserved. And so you and I can boldly say with Martin Luther, yes, I certainly am a sinner, but God has been gracious to me. I was God's enemy, but now he is my friend. Yes, all I have deserved is wrath and hell, but he has given me the free gift of eternal life. It's not easy to let go of that thought that we can somehow help God get us to heaven, but we must. In the hymn, Rock of Ages, the author wrote these words. He said, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. In Jesus' parable this morning, the Pharisee brought in his hands his fasting and his tithing and his generally good life. But what did the tax collector bring? He brought nothing. When you come to meet God in his word, empty your hands so that you can cling to the cross of Christ. Come a sinner and leave justified. Come humbled and leave exalted. 
Amen. Please stand. Hey, thank you so much for spending some time with us and worshiping with us online today. We are so glad you fed your faith through the work of Mount Olive, and we'd love to know that you fed your faith. So head on over to mountoliveappleton.com and click the online friendship register, or just click the link in the description here. It takes about one minute to fill out. Thanks so much for spending time with us. God's blessings on your day.